1: In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you can. That you can be. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is Vanessa Shaw. Vanessa describes herself as a culture and community builder. And over the course of 12 years, she's done a lot of things. Through her business at Human Side of Tech, she runs events, supports clients and global companies. And helps people to experiment with new ideas, to collaborate at work, and building cross-functional communities. Welcome to the show, Vanessa. Hi, Teo.
0: It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Pleasure's mine. Uh, so we've known each other a little bit online. We've never met in person, but we've uh, <laughs> we've uh, we've kept in touch with what uh, each other is doing on you know as it pertains to cross-functional work, international relations, and it's been interesting seeing the journey you've taken on. Uh, In the last two or three years that I've known you, but for the audience that hasn't known you at all, tell them how you got started. What was the journey like for you to get to where you are today? And what did you learn along the way?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I think it's funny, you know, we haven't met in person, but I think it's really easy to. Notice when somebody's living their passion because it oozes out of them, yeah. whether it's through Twitter or their website or anything they post online. I think it's really noticeable, and I think that's one of the things that for both of us, you know, we notice that we're working on things we are passionate about, and it's fun to engage with people like that because there's usually boundless opportunities and ways to create fun things, whether a podcast, a blog article, or whatever. Um, So I think that's been kind of what has kept us in touch over the years, um, even though we're on different coasts and so forth. So um, yeah, okay, so how did I get started? Well, you know, funny thing is I work in business now, and I work with corporates and startups to help them build their workplace culture. Sometimes there's culture change happening because they're being acquired or they're expanding globally. Um, and sometimes they're new and they want to make sure they get the culture right so that the hiring um, they do, they find the, the talent that's going to help them drive their vision. Um, so there's lots of things that I do now with businesses. But the funny thing is when I was starting out and looking at colleges and what I wanted to study, I remember very specifically saying, I never want to work in business <laughs> business is what destroys the planet and makes people unhappy at work and I want to work um what I'm passionate about which is people and helping people to be inspired to do their best work and I just felt like for profit companies weren't really great at that so it's funny to reflect on because so much has changed in the last um let's see I graduated college in 2006 and so I guess well, it's like 11 years and It's funny because when I was going to school, that was the idea. Business was for profit. And if you wanted to work on something you're passionate about or values-driven, purpose-driven, you needed to work on nonprofit sector or maybe in education. So I looked at those two paths for the first several years of my career and worked in nonprofit. Uh, I looked at being a teacher. So I was trying to figure out how could I really make a difference in people's lives. That's really what I wanted to do. So I was kind of in the early days. And through the course of time, I've traveled, I've lived overseas. And one of the really critical moments was I was working for a nonprofit in New York. And they had an education budget where you could take a professional development course. And I was like, okay, I want to do something to expand my career. And so I looked for opportunities and I found the Intercultural Communication Institute in Portland, Oregon. And it was all about helping people from different cultures connect and understand each other. I was like, that sounds great. I'm working in international volunteer programs right now with a company called uh, Cross-Cultural Solutions. So it was really relevant. I wanted to dive deeper. And I go to this institute and I just realized this is it. This is what I want to do with my life. I love being around the people working in this field. Um, I really love travel and I want to have a global life where I can um, learn about different cultures and help other people care about that too. And I didn't really know what that would look like, but I thought I'll just keep on engaging with people that are doing work that looks interesting to me. And this has been kind of one of the ways that I've moved through my career is you don't always know exactly what you want, but if you're attracted to something that somebody else is doing, you know, pursue it and engage with it. And usually some insights come out of it. Um, and so it was at that institute that I met a consultant and I had been working in a nonprofit. So I said, what the hell is a consultant? <laughs> said, what does a consultant do? <laughs> I've never heard of one of those. And um, they kind of explained to me, you know, well, we give our outside opinion and we, you know, share our perspective and, you know, kind of help People know what to do at work and how to drive their businesses. And I was like, people pay for that? That seems weird. Like, I really still don't understand what exactly you do. Um, and so now here I am, <laughs> several years later. I'm a consultant. Wait, wait, um, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I still don't really know how to explain it. <laughs> um, so it's, one thing, instead of walking you through every step in the journey, looking back on how I got from being, I have no idea what a consultant is or what they do to now being one. There's a couple of things that was really important in that journey. And one was really following what excited me and what I felt passionate about and talking to a lot of people that were doing things that were interesting. And so through that, I ended up actually living in overseas. I was gone for about four or five years in Mexico and then Spain. And I was like, this is, this is it. I want to be an international consultant. And okay, who's hiring international consultants? Okay. I don't have any experience, but I know I want to do this. And it was this moment where I thought, how do I start? I found this thing I want to do, but now how do I get started? Who will give me an opportunity? And so just like so many young people, you kind of have to, I, I call it DIY in your career. So when people wouldn't necessarily hire me to be a consultant, I I would look for problems they were having or challenges that they were trying to solve and then be the solution. And so one of the biggest things that I saw was a lot of consulting firms that had been doing great work, didn't know how to update to be more digital and to be more relevant with digital disruption. Uh, Social media was really, um, you know, kind of being forgotten in their business strategy. So, my pathway into consulting was really through helping businesses do their social media marketing. Uh, so I think that's also a, a, a line of something in common that you and I both have a knack and a, a passion for right. the power of social media. Yeah.
1: You know, as, as, I'm, as, as I'm listening to your story, it's so interesting. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt it. I love the fact that you continue to hone in on the the importance of following your passion. And it doesn't matter what company you work for, what do you build in the business. It's, it's your saying do what you love to do. And you know you had that funny joke about being a consultant, but really what a consultant is, is you help companies solve their problems. It just so happens that in your field, it took you to different parts of the world. And I am so, so curious as to what you learned about yourself as an American in all these foreign environments as you were trying to work with all these
0: companies. So I think um, one of the ways that, I mean, obviously travel always helps us to grow. And, you know, I think in summary, you know, when we go out in the world, we understand how the world sees us, responds to us, and how I respond to the world. And I think a lot of the times people try and understand other countries, other cultures. And when I work with companies that are global, they ask me, well, can you explain to me, how do I have a successful business meeting with Germans? Or how do I you know, start a negotiation with the Chinese. And they're always looking at the other person and trying to understand the other person when so many of us don't actually fully understand ourselves. And we're really bad at explaining who we are and how we are and how to engage with us. Um, And myself included, of course. And so I think the biggest thing was understanding how direct am I? You know, how indirect am I? How do people receive me, perceive me? Um, The idea of who I am and how I think others experience being around me, there was some gaps. Um, I actually for a while thought I wasn't really great with people. I had this idea that I wasn't a a supernatural person um, when it came to interacting with new encounters. And I laugh at it now because my whole career and everything I do is about bringing people together at events, and I have a conference that I run, and helping them to connect by me kind of breaking the ice and being warm and friendly and welcoming. And I think this was one of the things I really realized I had a skill in moving to so many different cities. I was in Madrid, and then I lived in Barcelona, and then coming back to the San Francisco Bay Area. One of the most important skills along all of those journeys was how to start a conversation with people and and take it beyond an initial just coffee meetup. And um I think that was the biggest realization for me. Um other things about being an American, um I think humility goes a long way. Um as Americans, you know, there's a lot of things that people know about us. Um we're very visible in politics, in media, in you know, music, all of our culture really gets shipped overseas. So people know us very well. And sometimes we can get stereotyped. Uh, We stereotype other people too. And I think being humble about what's really um, the truth of who a person is, is really important, especially for an American. Um, And overall, I think people are curious to connect with others. They just don't always know how to do it. So the more I can help, Um, invite that in, the better I can help others to connect with me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. I love that. And do you have any tips on the best ways to communicate, to break the ice? You know, you're in an airport, you're in a meeting, you're like, ah, I don't know what to say to him or her. What should I say? Uh, What questions should I ask?
0: Yeah, I think um, there's two things. One is the energy behind it, right? Mm -hmm. So, if I ask you a question or I inquire about something, um, I need to match the energy of the context, and so that can be a little tricky, and that takes some self-awareness. Um, I remember I was standing in line uh, waiting for uh, to deposit my check at the bank in Madrid, and it was taking a little bit of time, and there was an older woman standing behind me. I assumed she was Spanish, and she let out a big like sigh. She, you know, she was frustrated. And my instinct was like, oh, it's not my fault. It's taking a long time. And I was feeling anxious. And I kind of turned around and looked at her in a way that was like, oh, yeah, I know. It's it's taking forever, right? Like kind of matching her energy. And it softened the moment because we had something in common that, oh, yeah, I'm feeling impatient. And then it turned into kind of a chit chat, you know, playful conversation of like, oh, isn't this always the way it goes when you go to the bank and, and whatever? And it's true in the United States. You wait in line at the bank also. So commonality is where the most magic happens. I think we talk about cultural difference and uh, diversity and the difference between people. And when we start looking at the difference, we just build a wider gap. Um, so it's match the energy and find the commonality. So in that moment, she was Spanish. I was American. But we were both standing in line and feeling impatient. Yeah. So that was, that's been something helpful.
1: Finding the commonality across the differences, I think is one of those magical things for sure. Um, love that. You've, you've mentioned human side of tech a, a bunch. And for those listening, talk to Vanessa Shaw, who is the brain and face behind uh, human side of tech. Why do you feel like tech needs a human side?
0: Ooh, great question. So <laughs> this actually was a learning from Living Overseas. Um, I was working when I started to get work as a consultant and doing workshops and facilitation. You know, people knew me as the person from Silicon Valley. And so there was this assumption that I knew about tech and developers and all of the, you know, AI and everything. And I was the voice of Silicon Valley, which I just grew up here. I'm not an expert by any means. And what I really cared about was people. Um, But I did love technology and actually through, you know, all the work with social media I saw how tech had helped me become closer to people and connect with others that I wanted to know more. And so I started to have a belief that, you know, technology sometimes gets deemed as uh, making things less human, more digital, you know, killing connection, uh, making things more superficial. But I found that it helped us connect so much. And actually, if you don't know the the Instagram account, um, Humans of New York, which tells stories about people's experiences and little snippets. It's a great, wonderful example of how technology is um, helping us to connect, hear each other's stories, build empathy all over the world, and share the human experience through a digital tool. And I really wanted to help people realize that technology is helping us to be better humans and connect with other humans, not as much of the kind of negative side where people see it kind of being the matrix and we're just kind of an extension of the technology. I don't personally subscribe to that belief. And it's a much more fun environment to work in when we believe that technology can help us connect with others. That's where a lot of the future of work conversations are talking. Um, There's a a lot of great tools. Actually, Facebook just came out with their own uh, collaboration platform for the workplace and you know, Facebook has, whether you love it or hate it, it's brought the world closer together. It's made the more world more open and connected as their values speak. And um, so, yeah, so I think it's really important to not demonize technology and to embrace it and use it for its potential. It was designed to help us, not hurt us.
1: Right, right. No, I love that. And, you know, you, you and I, you're, you're right about the passion we have for digital media. And, you know, I think the pros outweigh the cons, I, like you, think that we need to emphasize more of the human elements. But, you know, there are people who are listening there probably saying, well, now we don't look up to people when we talk in dinner tables. Now we're always mm-hmm. on our phones. Now we have it, our attention span is going much shorter as the generation gets younger. So what do you say to people like that who are saying that it actually isn't helping? It doesn't help with dating. It doesn't help with making friends. It doesn't help with us actually having conversations. How do you... Uh, answer that.
0: Yeah, so I mean they're right, I agree. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> So if we believe that, then what? We can complain, we can kind of push ourselves into a corner, we can cross our arms and you know frown and <laughs> pout about the situation or we can be more proactive and find ways to be a light in the darkness or a, a problem solver or a creator of something more helpful. And uh, so that's kind of the way I approach things. And humans, we've always had problems with moderation. (laughs) That's just part of our nature. Yeah. So, moderation is a practice we all need to work on, whether it's with our screen time, whether it's, you know, some boundaries that we set on where, I mean, I just, I just this week actually, um, had started picking up the habit again of using my phone for my alarm clock. And so that means I leave my phone next to the bed and we had, my husband and I, we had bought an alarm clock, an old school alarm clock. So you'd actually have to use that instead of our our phones. Um, so I took my phone back out and we actually leave our phones outside the bedroom and plug them in down the hallway. So they're not our alarm clocks. Um, it's, It's not something that's near us in our bedroom where we're sleeping. And so it's a constant practice. We have to be responsible. It's part of our own development of our own leadership. How do we show up in the world? How do we show up in our relationships? And sure, maybe technology adds a new area where we have to practice mindfulness and and moderation. Um, But there's always going to be temptations from our vices. And it's really about, you know, just recognizing that and be like, well, this is the way the world is now. How can I show up in a way that's going to help support me get more of what I want, which is I want more closeness with people. So how do I use technology to to give me that? And how do I be careful to look at my phone during dinner while I'm out with friends and say, no, this isn't how I want to show up at at my uh, happy hour or dinner party.
1: No, for sure. For sure. And you know, you, to even buffer your point, you had brought up Facebook. Facebook's the largest social network. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg recently mm-hmm. gave a speech. I uh, actually thought his speech was great. A commencement speech at, at his, uh, I'm going to put air quotes here, alma mater, because he didn't complete it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there were some three, there's some key takeaways there. I mean, he started off talking about finding a purpose. You started off this podcast talking about following a passion and figuring out what that was that excited you. But some of the takeaways that he discussed were,
0: you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer and try Peloton risk-free with Peloton Rentals at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals.
1: Two is like redefining equality. And three, it was building community. Those three things are things that you do. Mm. Community is (laughs) is huge for you. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg was basically saying, be Vanessa Shaw. So so, (laughs) so I, I guess... What I want to do for the rest of the interview before we get into some of the cool uh, events that you run is really talk about the importance of equality, the importance of of just taking on meaningful projects and moving beyond just being Facebook posters and saying, that's my activism, and actually Mm. just understanding what it's like to take on a a big, meaningful project. So let's start off with uh, community, then go up to taking up big, meaningful projects.
0: Yeah, great. So... Along my journey of wanting to, you know, be a consultant and figure out what that might look like. Because after you figure out you want to be a consultant, then you have to know what you consult, (laughs) what kind of consultant you are. (laughs) Um, so along that journey, I built community over and over and over again. And I realized I just can't help myself. This is just something that I need, that I do, no matter where I am, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or in a meeting room. I'm constantly have this leaning towards how do I connect people? How do I build community? How do I link somebody up with something they need? How do I refer them to a person that they should talk to? How do I cross-pollinate people that haven't connected yet? Um, And so I think one of the realizations of engaging with my work was, what do I just, what oozes out of me? What What can I just not help myself? And so building community is really what, It is. And ironically, I studied uh, community studies in college at UC Santa Cruz. So uh, I guess a 19 year old Vanessa kind of knew who she was. And (laughs) in my 20s, I kind of lost her a little bit. And here I am in my 30s, I found her again. So um, community building has been the tenant of my, my life and my work. And I would just tell people build community like your life depends on it because it really does. And humans, we are you know, community-oriented, and so we need workplace communities. And when I was doing a lot of travel, I had this habit of reaching out to cool companies when I'm in the city. So when I was in Stockholm, I was like, oh, I want to go uh, see Spotify, right? Their headquarters is there. When I was in Talent, I went to the Skype headquarters um, here in San Francisco. I've been to Google and Facebook and Twitter and I uh, was – in New York, also visited uh, Digital Ocean and um, Next Jump, and so many great companies. And through all of these visits, I've done a couple dozen. I realized the companies that had really inspiring cultures that felt human, technologically advanced, and responsive, and agile, and future thinking, and uh, we're prospering too, and when your company is prospering, it's more fun to work there because you're not worried about budget cuts and so forth. Um, what they had really invested in was creating community at the office, helping departments become more connected, you know, removing silos, flattening the hierarchy, helping interactions happen by accident. I know a lot of people talk about oh, free lunch at all of these tech companies. It's really gluttonous and ridiculous. But really the essence of that is to get people cross-pollinating in the lunchroom together and bumping into people they didn't know and interacting in ways that they wouldn't normally if they were just staying in their department and eating with people in their department. Um, so I really believe the future of work is communities. Um, and this goes into kind of systems thinking and all sorts of nerdy consultant stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, It's, it's genuinely the way humans are naturally capable of working and interacting and our businesses for a long time prevented that. And I think we've woken up to a new era that will allow it more and more.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. even, even the, the, ne- the next wave of entrepreneurship, I, I wouldn't even say next, the current wave, is a lot of community built things. Uh, Uber is currently going through the slide right now, but mm-hmm. Uber, Lyft, uh, Airbnb, a bunch of these things are built on the idea of, community Mm -hmm. share, share based across digital. That's, I guess that's another, uh, positive about, you know, digital there, but I think it's interesting to see as we continue to evolve with technology, what types of businesses can be formed based on that. Um, uh, I think a lot of the biggest businesses actually don't have physical, um, offices, you know, Amazon doesn't necessarily have like a big bookstore, but it's still the biggest, uh, uh, bookstore in the world, if you really think about it. And, so does the mm-hmm. you know, same thing you can say with Facebook and a, a lot of um, Alibaba and things like that. So I, I'm always fascinated by the idea of community uh, just because, as you said, it, you know, it was how we met. You know, we met a, because we were both uh, champions for equality. And this is going to the, the next point here, which is pick something big and stand for it. And mm. I think one of the first times I met you across Twitter was, you, I wouldn't say you're going after, but you called <laughs> out you called out for those that don't know Vanessa, Vanessa's very vocal about her cause. She called out uh, this organization that had, had basically put out a list of speakers, and they were all most of them were male or maybe even all, and you just said, "Hey, I need an explanation for why there isn't any uh, female in this, uh, in this panel here." And I, I was like, "Wow." there we go. Okay. (laughs) And, and, and you've continued to continue to strive for gender equality, even in the workplace and in other facets of the, uh, of the area. Why do you think like we, that we have a a long way to go in that area?
0: Oh man. Well, why do we have a long way to go? I think, uh, it makes people uncomfortable we're not perfect at it. We make mistakes and we overlook things. I mean, I might be a female, but I'm white. So I have that lens that I have to work on, be more aware of and things that I might overlook. And that is a different experience for somebody who isn't white. Um, And it's really uncomfortable to talk about that, to admit it, to screw up. Um, And I think people are afraid of making a mistake. So they just don't interact or engage or Um, talk about it openly. And I think the other side too is that we are programmed to be biased. It's part of our makeup of how our brain works and it's part of the survival. And we're in a point where that bias works against some of the goals we have as a society. The world's changed a lot. And Um, so we really have to work hard to, to raise our awareness of unconscious bias. And that's not just something you take a course and you're done or a workshop. It's a whole lifelong journey, you know, and, um, that takes effort, focus, investment. Um, and I can just say uh, regarding kind of events and speakers, this is, this is one area where I think it's just totally ridiculous. Actually, (laughs) (laughs) we should have this fixed today or maybe like 14 years ago. Um, There's so many amazing speakers from so many backgrounds that are just dying for opportunities and willing to do it for free, highly qualified, and there's just not enough visibility to a variety of speakers. And when we talk about diversity, there's so many layers. There's gender, there's race. Those are the two ones that get a lot of discussion. Um, There's socioeconomic, you know, first-generation college or didn't go to college, Um, you know, first-generation living in a new country, age diversity, you know, um, what you studied in school. So I think one of the areas that I worked really hard um, when building my events was being extremely committed to diversity because diverse opinions... Are interesting to listen to. If we have 12 people that have all the same ideas, that's a really boring event. If everybody agrees, that's also pretty dull and we're limiting how much we can learn. And also it's so amazing feeling when you identify with somebody who's in a speaking position or in, you know, in the spotlight, right? So that I can look up on the stage and I feel like I kind of look like them. I relate to them. Yeah. And if you're in a, a tech conference and everybody on the stage is male, a female in the audience is going to look up there and be like, do I really belong here? And if you're um, Asian and everybody up on the stage is white, you might feel, do I really belong here? So uh, and same, I think also in the tech industry, if you're over 45 years old, <laughs> you might look on the stage and see everybody is a millennial and feel, wow, am I still relevant? Um so I think there's a uh, that's kind of another layer of diversity we yeah.
1: should be aware of too. Yeah. It's so interesting and I love the fact that you're covering the layers of diversity because diversity isn't a cookie cutter thing. And you started off this by saying we all need to be aware of our biases and when you were expressing your frustration with events having primarily male panelists, you're mm-hmm. right in the sense that it is an easy fix. It's just a matter of doing the work to understand who and what community actually has a voice there. And that, you know, for many years has only been given to a certain, you know, I guess male white, you know, people tend to get a lot of the coverage. So it's always easier to go on Google say, voices of such and such. Oh, I'll just reach out to the first five that comes to mind. And then that maybe uh, takes away the opportunity for you to reach out to that uh, amazing person that might not get as much publicity, but has just as much to say on the topic. And maybe even give, and provide more nuance. So um, yeah, I I think it's good to call out companies that are not doing that. But I also think for the generations to come, they need to be able to see themselves in some of these leaders for them to understand that they have opportunities to become leaders as they grow older.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think also too, I mean, I've met people that I've asked if they would speak and they've shied away because they've never done it before. And I understand that. If you put on an event, you also want somebody who is experienced and will be able to present, right? And so yeah. the tip I would have, if you haven't ever spoken, start small, reach out to a Girl Scout club and like be the career visitor for the day or go to a meetup group that nobody, you know, will be there and just say that you're the speaker and present. If you don't do well at a free event for a small community, it's okay. It's practice. I mean, I was actually terrified of public speaking when I was uh, starting my career and, you know, the first things that I did, I would I lost like a week of sleep worrying that I had to do a 20-minute presentation in mm-hmm. front of like 12, 12 people. <laughs> um, and so I think it's just the starting small. And also, webinars is a really great way to practice. If people aren't comfortable speaking in person yet, start online, record yourself on YouTube, just getting some practice and then telling people you want speaking opportunities because that's the other thing I find that people that um, are used to getting asked to speak, or can identify with other speakers they've seen, are generally more likely to put themselves out there and, and make the ask. And so it goes two ways, right? Yeah. For organizers, they need to be really hunting, and for people who are aspiring to speak, you know, speak up <laughs> basically, yeah. and and put yourself out there. Yeah.
1: yeah. Putting yourself out there and, com- and companies giving opportunities, making sure they do the work. It's definitely. Um, it's a two-way street, and I love that you're doing that with your uh, the upcoming summit that you have. How's that going? Can you tell the audience about that?
0: Yeah, so Culture Summit is a two-day conference in San Francisco, and it is focusing on workplace cultures. So topics are how do you how do you scale culture through fast growth? So when companies grow quickly, how do they maintain the culture that they love or create a culture that they want? Um, how do you create a workplace environment where it's diverse and inclusive and creates a sense of belonging? And there's some words, uh, uh, people talk about the imposter syndrome a lot here in the tech field. Um, so looking at what, what does that mean and how can we address it? Um, so we've got workshops and all sorts of things. There's about 500 people who will be coming this year. And with our speakers, I put together the whole program and recruited the speakers and, It was really, really important to make sure there was many different types of people on the stage that our audience could identify with. And the other side, too, is my co-founder, Hung. He's also, um, so obviously he's male, (laughs) and so there's diversity there. And his background, his family's from Vietnam. He's from the U.S., but he has a different cultural heritage than I do. So just between the two of us, also, our diversity has been really important to help you know, share things from different perspectives and find, um, more dynamic solutions that will appeal to both a male and a female audience and all the other different, he's an engineer. I'm, I'm definitely not an engineer. So we have a different kind of way of looking at problems and yeah. and solutions. So that's helped, I think, build an event that we hope will be very, is very inviting and welcoming to diversity yeah. and also represents that value.
1: No, it's great. And I love that you're putting that together. Where can people find out more about this event?
0: Yeah, so Culture Summit is culturesummit.co, C-O, and it is this August uh, 16th through 17th in San Francisco, and also we've worked really hard and put together a whole week of events that we're going to be announcing shortly, so calling it Culture Week, Uh, so you can find out more about that uh, through our newsletter. We'll be announcing all the special details of how to get involved with that.
1: Absolutely. And I'll put that in the show notes for sure. But um, yeah, no, I I think you all should definitely check it out. If you're in the area in San Francisco looking for an event that brings people from all sorts of backgrounds and and figuring out how to work in cross-functional areas and also meet um, people from different backgrounds, especially pertaining to workplace and workforces, um, I would definitely recommend you go to this. And I can attest to know Vanessa. Vanessa has really, really been a hard worker in this area. And she's got a lot of... uh, experience working across continents, So I would definitely recommend the event. The other, the biggest part about you, which is an extension of your personal brand is, is this human side of tech thing that you're doing. It's, it's more, it's like a lifestyle that you're, you're, you're creating. I want to give you a chance to also talk to the audience about where they can find, you know, you online when it comes to human side of tech and what plans you have for the rest of the year with that.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. So you know, human side of tech is really looking at a couple different things. Culture, community, and bringing that all together through events. So I run webinars, I run community events, I run week-long events like the one I'm doing with Culture Summit. And so you can find me at humansideoftech.co, CEO at the end. And yeah, follow my updates. There's going to be a big announcement coming this fall, actually, for some ways that I'm going to connect everybody through a virtual summit online and getting the whole world hopefully tuning in about the human side of all things tech and also showcasing workplace culture, which I just can't help myself and talk about.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, definitely, that's definitely your thing. All right. Let's do some rapid fire questions before we, we uh, head out here. Um, favorite country in the world?
0: Oh, man. I can't have a favorite. I love any country where there's sun, uh, awesome... Any awesome country where there is
1: sun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a favorite country? Oh okay. my gosh, that's the hardest question. Okay, okay,
1: fine, fine, fine. A country with the best food.
0: Ooh, uh, I'm gonna go Peru.
1: Okay, Peru. Um, favorite movie of all time? This is actually a hard question. So you can you can go genre if you can't pick the movie because I don't even know my Oh, uh,
0: <laughs> I got this. I got this one nailed. It's actually Wayne's World. Wade's
1: world okay well there
0: you go Hard time hey. hell yeah
1: <laughs> I, I you know what I haven't actually seen it so I need to go see it especially since you love it so much okay uh favorite television show
0: favorite te- well house of cards man is really terrifying and riveting so it just came out so I've been watching it lately
1: yeah. I'm, I'm I'm on the I just finished the first episode of this new season and it's terrifyingly accurate uh yeah <laughs> especially especially since it was recorded and filmed before the actual election i'm just yeah very yeah. interested <laughs> uh, that's that's great and then the last question before the mission statement is when it is all said and done what do you want your legacy to be
0: i brought people together
1: <sighs> community community that is the one right. word that is the one word that describes you, Vanessa. Love it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Every uh, guest in the show um, always gets to ask, answer this question. And it's my mission statement. It's the reason why I do all I do. Use your difference to make a difference. So how do you, Vanessa, use your difference to make a difference? I have a feeling I already know what the answer is. But <laughs> how do you use your difference to make a difference?
0: Yeah, so I would say my, the way I use my difference is to help more people love the work they do and the workplaces they work in. I truly believe that if every day we went to a workplace where we felt connected to the people we were there with and inspired and were able to do our best work, that we would go to work and leave work and be part of the world and the communities that we interact with feeling great and creating great things. And that would be a truly different world for all of us. And that's the change that I want to help build.
1: Love it. And uh, Vanessa Shaw can be found at human side of tech in uh, on Twitter. And she's definitely very, very responsive. But I you know, can't thank you enough for coming over to the, the show to share your, your work and talk about what you do at HumansidesofTech.org of as well as the culture summit. That's uh, uh, culture week that's coming up soon. So make sure that you check her out. And ladies and gentlemen, till next week, use your difference to make a difference.